Learning when to say no is essential for your business. Raise your pinkies because in today's episode, we're discussing how to reduce business risk by becoming a skeptic. Presented by Advertise Mint. The Duke of Digital will guide you through the rapidly changing landscape of digital marketing, social media, and how to grow your business online. To submit a question for the show, text 323-821-2044 or visit dukeofdigital.com. If you need an expert to fix your ads, the friendly team at Advertise Mint is ready to help. Visit AdvertiseMint, that's M-I-N-T, dot com, or call 844-236-4686 to grow your business. Here's your host, Brian Miet. All right, so in the studio today, we have Cher Kusumano. Hello. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Uh, you're the Vice President of Digital Marketing for Lear Capital. Mm -hmm. um, what I love is that you, in your resume, there's a rumor that your first job in marketing ever <laughs> required a costume. It's true. Is that true? It is true. Now, which I, now I have some ideas of what that could be, <laughs> which involve maybe a, a hot dog and a stick. Like, that was my guess. Kind of warm. Am I close? Um, yeah, I mean, hot dogs are closely associated with the character that I played. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Americana. No, I don't know what that is. Um, no, my my costume was the Statue of Liberty. So oh, both like very American. Nice. Icons. Okay. Okay. I love it. When I saw that, I was like, oh man, if she worked on Hot Dog, I think that's epic. Because <laughs> uh, that's something I always thought would be fun to do. Even though I think anyone would be like, please don't make me wear the uniform. I think anyone that sees it knows exactly what that company is. So, okay. So you were a Statue of Liberty. What's the story behind that? So my first job in marketing was at New York, New York Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. And I moved there to go to UNLV and get my master's. And my uh, advisor told me, if you want to work at a casino, just take the first job they offer you in marketing. It doesn't matter what it is, just take it. So I took her advice to heart. And when they said, oh, well, we have an opening, but you have to wear like this huge crown with a battery that lights up. And then you walk around in this big green dress. I was like, well, I guess this is what I have to do. Now, was that good advice? It was. Yeah, um, look at that. Six months later, I was working in the marketing department in uh, New York, New York. And then a year later, so six months after that, I was working in the corporate office at MG Mirage. Oh, it's fantastic. In fact, I did see that, that you had uh, worked in the digital campaigns for both Las Vegas casinos and also Cirque du Soleil shows. Yes. Is that cool? Man. It was so exciting. Uh, so man, there's two things there. One, a secret hidden wish of mine has always been to work for a casino. Really? I think it would be the coolest. There was a TV show early in the 2000s called Las Vegas mm -hmm. um, with Josh uh, Dun Dunamel. He was married to Fergie. There was, uh, oh, yeah. who else was there? James Kane was in it. Oh man, I loved it. I was like, this looks so cool. You're running around and catching bad guys. <laughs> and I, I like not even the bad guys, but just being in a cool big casino, I always thought it would be really fun. So I'm a little jealous now that, that you had that. Um, it was an interesting experience. Was it? I imagine sure. we could probably do a whole podcast <laughs> just on the stories probably. that happened in Vegas uh, that, that should very well probably be forgotten. But And then Cirque du Soleil, which is a fantastic brand yes. uh, to work for. And they have expanded so much. So I probably attribute most of that to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, they've done an incredible job on growing their business, their brand. I imagine that had a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Um, so the hotels actually host the shows so that we work very closely with Cirque du Soleil. 
Um, but I was really fortunate in working with them because I've always been in direct response. But Cirque du Soleil is a very brand conscious brand. Um, so they're very protective of their brand. They have very strict brand standards. And that was probably the most intense exposure I had to a brand like that mm. um, in my career. So I've, I've kept a lot of those lessons with me. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, other man, you, there was a lot of interesting, uh, little tidbits that I came across as I was doing my homework, but <laughs> now is this true that you share a hometown with the atomic bomb? Yes. I'm from Los Alamos, New Mexico. And that is where it was created. Okay. Yeah. Like they built it, like it went. Yeah. That's, uh, where the Hat Manhattan project was hosted. Okay. So it's this like itty bitty town up on this hill with like one road in and one road out. And it's still like that today. There's empty guard towers as you drive into town. No way. Yeah. So you can go there now and kind of drive around? Yeah, absolutely. Like you weren't, you don't glow or anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I love it. Um, other things, man, I noticed that you you do a lot with uh, jewelry design. You've got a fantastic kind of, you, you, it, you're going to probably say like, I just tinker a little bit, but that's what all people that... <laughs> Have incredible designs or are really good at something usually say. No, oh, that's that's kind of you to say. I'm very quantitative at work, so when I go home, I need a creative outlet. Uh -huh. So I'm sort of a serial hobbyist. Nice. Okay, and and you also do interior design, which I, I was checking out your Instagram <laughs> page, and I I have spent way too much time on house. Yes. Uh, and it's amazing. I'm not critical about much stuff in life. Like I'm usually pretty easygoing, but mm -hmm. man, when I get into like houses it's like that one's horrible i would never do that that one is amazing yes and that one nah, seven out of ten but it's weird when it comes to a kind of interior design and decorating like I, I maybe it's just as you get older you start to get more you know what you like but the the ones that you had looked incredible oh thank you it was something that i just sort of became obsessed with suddenly um and i don't get to do a lot in the social realm in my current role so um, like starting a blog was something that I wouldn't get to do at work a lot, but it was interesting to, to do that experience sort of as a hobby. I love it. Now, if, um, if people are listening, is there a place or a way that you would want them to find you or to be able to connect with you uh, after the show? Um, I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, Cher Cusimano. Um, my uh, interior design blog, Motley Decor, has a, a big uh, Pinterest following if oh, you want nice. to find me there. And just sort of look at pretty pictures. <laughs> I was looking at them before the show. <laughs> and I, it's amazing because once I start looking, you just kind of get lost because you're like, oh, those ones are nice. And and then I was like, oh, I got to get back to work. But yeah, watch out. It can be an expensive it, hobby. It really is. Uh, it's it's, a, it's fantastic. So um, what I wanted to do is to transition into the topic for today, which is, you know, how to reduce business risk by becoming a skeptic. And this is something that kind of comes from you know, the element of, you know, essentially saying no um, yes. and knowing when to say no. And this is so interesting because in a lot of scenarios, people are like, it's the digital age. You've got to move quick and fast and beat everyone else and scale, 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 go as big as you can. And so the element of saying no isn't something that you hear a lot of people ever talking about, <laughs> right? I mean, you're in digital. You, you've been in, I imagine, countless meetings. And that's why I was so excited to be able to have you on to discuss this topic, because I think it is something that is so commonly overlooked in the world of business. So thank you. Can you walk us through what, you know, what is the process of becoming or, or why is a skeptic valuable and, and explain that to the listeners? 
Sure. I mean, I think he sort of described it in the intro where you talk about reducing business risk. So it's um, risk comes in many forms, right? Monetary risk. Um, the more money that you spend on campaigns that end up not being successful, the less money you have to spend on future campaigns. Um, so conserving resources. Um, you know, also don't discount the importance of human capital and the time you spend on a project. Um, if you eat up a lot of time on project A, you don't have time for project B. So it's really important to prioritize what it is you're spending your time and your money on um, to ultimately grow the business because that's our job as marketers. Yep. Now, was there a, a time or a process that you became, you know, a resident skeptic or someone that, you know, was like, hey, now I'm <clears throat> going to become the devil's advocate more than just let's do it, everyone, and let's run. Um, what what was the story behind that or how did that come to be? I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. I think a little bit I was sort of born a skeptic. Okay. Um, I've always worked on the brand side, so I've always had salespeople approaching me. And I remember even when I was very, very green and new to the space, I had this really aggressive salesperson who was trying to sell me on something. And I just emphatically said no, ultimately, because I was sort of getting frustrated. And he called me a bulldog. And it had the exact opposite of the intended effect because I really, I took pride in that. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think also transitioning from working at large corporations to a small business, there's a heightened sense of community and responsibility. And when you go into marketing meetings, you really want to deliver good news, right? We really want to say this campaign did great. It was a great use of money. Um, whereas you really dread going into a meeting and saying, oh, well, this didn't work because we didn't think this through or we probably shouldn't have run this test in the first place. So, you know, in terms of that, how do you, you know, it, when it comes to like the team, and, and I, I would imagine the process of meetings, right? Like you have, there's some people that are listening that maybe are, they run their business. There's other people that work and run a department. There's other people that may be in a department. There's other people that may be a solopreneur, right? So in the process of those kind of, you know, different scenarios, you know, ideas are coming up, mm -hmm. which a lot of times when presented to a person sound like great ideas. Mm -hmm. We're doing social media and there's a new thing called TikTok. There's <laughs> you're, you're a new, you know, everyone's doing LinkedIn now because it's back up and the organic algorithm is, is much higher. Like anything, there's always, especially in digital, there's always something new. So true. And I think there's a need to, or an urge to never to some extent, be left out. Mm -hmm. You know, if some, if you're like, well, no, Instagram is dumb. I don't believe in that. And it becomes the biggest thing ever. You're like, ah, oh, man, like I missed out. Right. So you don't, I mean, you have that on the backside, but at the same time, the number of social media networks that I've seen that aren't Instagram, that I've seen people dedicate resources to, mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe wasted, I don't say waste time, but the flip side there is, there's a moment in time when there's a meeting when people are like, do we do 20 things? Right. Or there's a new thing that adds to one more thing to our plate. You know, how do you know, like, what is the process that you walk through for saying no to a project or a, a new opportunity? So I think read the room, right? I tend to believe that we're pack animals. And when one role isn't filled, someone needs to step up and fill that role. So if you have a room full of skeptics, you should probably change your mindset to be more opportunity seeking. But if you find yourself in a situation where you have a lot of optimists who always want to try everything, then I think it's really valuable to become the skeptic in the room and really question um, how likely a campaign is to succeed, what the, 
what the design might be missing or what could be done better. And it's not always about shooting down an idea. Sometimes it's just about making people go through that exercise of thinking of all the shortcomings and, you know, designing a test that will do better under those circumstances. I do love that point of, you know, it it starts with kind of the room, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, if you've got a bunch of engineers and they're like, this technically cannot be made or this isn't possible, having someone that's like, well, let's play the devil's advocate. And the devil's advocate could be someone that's like, no, how would you do it? Mm -hmm. You know, you take, we have unlimited money, unlimited resources. How would you make this work? And a lot of times people are like, well, there could be a way. Um, And it's the same way you get a bunch of people that are like, yeah, we can do anything. We'll do, we'll do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, having someone to be like, whoa, 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 who's responsible for what? And instead of everyone just running around and wasting a bunch of time, mm-hmm. can this actually be accomplished in the time frame that we have? And it's it's just crazy, you know, looking back, I guess, in, in my experience, the number of times I have seen the skeptic in the room be like, like event would come up. Like someone's like, oh, there's a great event that we can go to and it's a week away, but we have to prepare everything. This will be, we're getting it at half the price. This is great. And the person's like, there's absolutely no way anyone could pull that off, (laughs) right? Like there's just no way. Like if you went in and tried to do it, you would get halfway done, which would look even worse than doing nothing at all. Are you talking about fire Festival? Yeah, (laughs) that's actually really funny. (laughs) And then everyone got mad about my festival. No, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that's a great example. Those type of things of just it snowballing out without having that person that's like, hold on, mm-hmm. which I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an, an important role that someone at the organization needs to fulfill. Um, and I think that you make yourself doubly valuable if you can play both sides, if you can be the skeptic and sort of poke holes and make people think about things more critically and if you can be the person who brings ideas to the table. So it's really good to balance both. I mean, I like the fact that it needs to be like a balance. Um, you know, what What happens if, you know, let's bring in a boss, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. if your boss is, you know, the the optimistic one of mm-hmm. we can do anything, how do, you, how do you go back to a boss and be like, no, I think what you want to do is impossible. Because then it makes you kind of look like a Debbie Downer or someone that is, you know, always negative. You know, how do you do that with tact, I guess, would be my my question. That's always a tough one. No one ever wants to tell their boss no. <laughs> um, but I think a good strategy is to empower and then warn. So if you're not the decision maker, you sort of have to realize that and you have to be very forthright about that. So you would say something like, ultimately, this is your decision, but... I feel strongly that this won't work because of X, Y, Z. Maybe you bring a forecast with some quantitative information that kind of demonstrates why this might not be the best idea at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to to take it back to kind of like maybe the fire Festival as an example, mm-hmm. uh, which for anyone that doesn't know, it was, there's a couple of Netflix documentaries on this, but it was a big uh, event that was supposed to be an amazing music festival in the Bahamas or somewhere Something in like the Caribbean. That. Uh, they're like, it's on a private island. They got a bunch of Instagram models to go and say, we're going to be there. Uh, and the marketing was fantastic. The actual implementation of the festival when people arrived mm-hmm. turned out to be a logistics nightmare <laughs> um, because they hadn't really planned a lot of that through. So in that scenario, at what point in the planning process did would you say things went wrong? Was it at the beginning? You know, Was the, the guy who was like, I'm the visionary mm-hmm. – he didn't necessarily care about the logistics. So was that 
he wasn't listening to a logistics person or maybe he didn't even have a logistics person. That's kind of where my mind was at. I don't really know, but yeah. to your point, he might not have had that skeptic in the room like he should have. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, it, it was a crazy, uh, crazy story. Anyway, I'm glad I wasn't there, but <laughs> it didn't look like fun. Um, you know, do you dis agree or disagree that no idea is a bad one during a brainstorming process? Completely agree. I think that um, you need to generate a surplus of ideas before you can start looking at them critically, right? Like you can't mow your lawn before you've grown your grass. So I think brainstorming is just as important as being a skeptic. It's just something that happens before you become that skeptic. So yeah, I just love what you're in thought. Um, a bad one for brainstorming process. Oh man, I, I don't even know what I was gonna say. I just lost my my train of thought. Um, how do you avoid being? Um, how do you avoid the dark side of being a skeptic? You know, of of appearing in a in a meeting is always being the one who is, uh, you know, maybe the naysayer or the person that no matter what anyone says, it's like no, no. And I think most people could imagine. Uh, a person being that they could probably put a face to, I know who that is at, at our company or our team. Um, but how, how do you avoid that? Because that does have a value to the process. You're right. Um, it's very easy to fall into that role of Debbie Downer and then people start to dismiss things you say. So it's very much in your interest if you want to continue to be the skeptic in the room to do it in a diplomatic way. Um, I don't think it always has to be saying no flat out. You can pose questions that make other people come to the conclusions that you've already sort of come to. Um, I also think it's important to own what you were right about and own what you were wrong about, more so the latter, right? So if I'm wrong about a campaign that we ultimately moved forward with, then in the next meeting, I'm gonna be clapping and applauding that person and saying, great job, I was wrong, I'm glad we did this because what's good for the company is good for the team. I love that because that, I mean, that comes with the team approach. Mm -hmm. It comes with, you know, being humble mm -hmm. uh, to be like, and, and I would think in the marketing world, for sure, the number of times I've been proved wrong where I was like, oh, this is going to totally beat the other one. And I'm like, I was a hundred percent wrong. Yes. There we go. Let's go down that path. And it, for me, it doesn't bother me. Mm -mm. Uh, there are some people that, you know, will stick to their guns and they're like, no, I know this is the right way. And I'm like, the data just doesn't show it. That's a great point. It's really important to take emotion out of it, right? It's a job. You're there to achieve a purpose. It's not about who's right and who's wrong. Um, it's about the team and succeeding as a team. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely does get get emotional. But I just, it's weird because it was a thing that I've always done well with, with, you know, not taking things too personally or if I'm wrong, I'm like, oh, there we go. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. I've, we found something better mm -hmm. than what I thought. Now I know. Um, let's go and keep moving and what's next and what's next. But uh, a lot of times things do get very emotional. People can get feelings hurt if sure. their idea wasn't the one that was selected. Sure. Um, but I mean, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating because a lot of this comes back to, you know, ultimately for businesses to succeed, mm -hmm. they need to be making right decisions right. and doing the right things consistently. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the more you break, and it's okay to make a mistake, but ultimately, you know, the most successful companies have good people implementing you know, clear vision with the right decisions behind it. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those come from being able to say no um, during the process. Right. And um, just lost my train of thought. Um, oh, 
So I don't think any team or any one person is going to be right 100% of the time, mm -hmm. but you want your batting average to be pretty high, right? Otherwise, yeah. you kind of go out of business. Oh, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> um, is there ever an idea uh, that you had wished you hadn't turned down? Is there ever like, any examples you can think of where you're like, man, there was this one time? That's a fantastic question. Um, nothing's jumping to mind, and I think it's kind of it's twofold, right? If we don't do a campaign because, you know, it, it got shut down for one reason or another, then we kind of don't know how it would have turned That's out. That's true. It's so true. You can't really be wrong in that situation. Um, but then if it is a campaign that we did and it worked, then I'm glad um, because, you know, someone else on the team made a stronger case than I did and we went forward and we all win. I love it. I love it. Um, you know, as we kind of you know, bring, bring the podcast, uh, to a close. Are, is there any sort of pieces of, of final advice that you would have for other individuals who are, you know, in, in those positions where they need to move forward and accelerate, but they also need to understand when and where they should say no. Um, <laughs> that's a tough one. I mean, diplomacy, when you're saying no, it's really important to be diplomatic about it. Um, and to make sure that you're not creating an environment where you're stifling creativity, yep. you should still be really encouraging of all your team members. Um, and I think I mentioned this earlier, but it's also on you to bring ideas to the table. And if you don't have an idea that you think is good enough to move forward with, bring your best half-baked idea to the team and see if they can find a way to improve it. Yeah. Because then you're contributing, but then you're also putting yourself in a vulnerable um, position where people can you know, poke holes in your idea. I, I would say I think any person in a in a team, um, you know, in meetings or things like that, generally has thoughts or advice that could be valuable. Absolutely. Um, and you never know where a fantastic idea will come from. And I've just heard stories numerous times that people be like, "We were talking about something, and the the person that worked at the front desk came in and looked at all everything that was on the board and was like, well, why don't you do it this way?'" And everyone in the room would stop and be like. That's fantastic. We'd never, we'd never <laughs> thought of that at all. Um, and a lot of times that different perspective can really be valuable uh, to be able to bring that in. Yeah. I mean, respect all your team members and remember that you're all there for a reason, right? Something brought you there. Something qualified you to be in that room. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it's fantastic advice. Thank you so much, Cher, for being Thank here you. today uh, and sharing your advice with everyone. And for all our listeners, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Duke of Digital podcast with Brian Meert. Want to network with other business owners? Join our exclusive group at facebook.com slash groups slash Duke of Digital. Fancy the Duke? Leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app and you could be mentioned on the show. The Duke of Digital was produced by Advertise Mint and recorded in Hollywood, California.